0: Hello and welcome to the DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. My name is Will Sivright and I am a partner based here in the UAE and I lead the Middle East corporate team at DLA Piper. I've been advising on M&A transactions in the tech sector for the last two decades, the last decade of which uh, based here in the Middle East. I am delighted to be joined here today by my fellow partner, Eamon Holly, and also uh, two directors from risk consultancy firm Control Risk, uh, Courtney Smith and Will Brown. But if I could first ask uh, each of my guests to maybe just spend a minute introducing themselves and um, Eamon.
1: Thanks, Will. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Eamon Holly. I'm a partner in our intellectual property and technology team based here in Dubai. I'm a data protection and technology lawyer with about 16 years experience now in the region. Um, I'm very happy to to to, uh, to be here today, thanks.
2: Yes, hi, I'm Courtney Smith. I head up control risk business intelligence team for the Middle East and North Africa. I've been working in the Middle East region now for 16 years, 25 years working on intelligence. And our team focuses on you know, assisting clients in m and transactions, dispute resolution, and also looking at the supply chains and making sure they're robust and able to go forward.
0: Thanks Courtney. And and last but very much not least, uh, Will Brown. Thanks
3: Thanks. Will, my name's Will Brown. I head up uh, crisis resilience and cyber consulting for control risks in the Middle East. Uh, I've been involved in uh, technology resilience and cyber for the last 22 years uh, and do a lot of work with clients in both pre and post acquisition, uh, cyber due diligence and technology assessments. Um, I've been in the Middle East for six years, prior to that uh, based out of London uh, with patches of time in Asia and Africa.
0: Thanks very much Will. Well look, to set the scene a little bit um, and look at some of the m a activity levels that we are seeing and some of the trends. Uh, we're sitting here recording this in Q1 2021, but looking back to 2020 deal activity, in the Middle East, actually hit record highs—the highest we've seen on on record since since uh, against 2019, which was was the highest on record. But that doesn't tell the whole story, and that includes a significant number of uh, mega deals that were concluded, um, often government-related, in the Middle East. If you look behind those numbers, um, you look at the the volume of deals, particularly in the in the small and and, and the SME space. Um, we actually saw a significant tail off in the number of deals, and so we ordinarily see around 500 deals a year in this part of the world. And in 2020, we saw around 350. Now, um, digging further into those numbers, the interesting thing to look at was the, the timing of those deals. As you would have expected in Q2, there was a significant drop off as deals were aborted and deals were put on pause. And the uh, one of the, the pleasing things to see was that in Q4 of last year, we saw a significant uptick in deal activity. And um, we're starting to see that also filter through into Q1 of this year. So I think there are good reasons to be uh, positive about the levels of activity that we can see in, um, in the market for this year. One of the bright spots throughout was tech deals. And um, we saw uh, an increase in the proportion of tech deals that were being concluded. And actually, in 2020, we saw a significant rise. Um, of the number of tech deals and they now account for around a fifth of overall uh, tech deals that we see. So it's um, it really is a, a, a positive story for, for the sector. I think one of the other reasons to be positive for this coming year is the uh, the anticipated wave of distressed MA. That wave hasn't yet crested here in the Middle East and I think that's also being seen in, in Europe and, and the US in that the distressed uh, elements of the deals are not yet coming through because governments seem to be uh, extending their, their furlough schemes and their support for businesses. And so we're not yet seeing um, the expected wave of distressed M&A, which we anticipate will now fall somewhere in, uh, in 2021. So it's, uh, the stage is set for a really uh, potentially significant number of tech M&A deals throughout this year. And so I think there's, um, there's reasons to be optimistic about the levels of, of deal activity. Um, Courtney, if I could come to you, what are you seeing from a a macro perspective?
2: Thanks, Will, and I think you're right. It's gonna be an exciting year in 2021. And I, I look at it from two perspectives. I think before we saw the COVID pandemic, there was a lot of activity that was sort of driven by government investment. So whether it was the modernization of infrastructure or the shift towards renewable energies, we were seeing that driven by the government followed on by, you know, whether it's development, finance, or multilaterals pointing in that direction, and then obviously the flow on and seeing the you know, very large construction companies and so forth being able to go into different countries to help with the development of that. Uh, what we're seeing now is also a continuation of, of that past is you know the regional sovereign wealth funds are looking for these opportunities as well. Governments are collaborating and coupling that with stimulus packages that we're seeing in many com- countries in this region, we are gonna see some more growth there. Uh, you mentioned the distressed assets. You know, we we, we do believe that's gonna be occurring as well, but when you're looking at companies with high debts, non-revenue generating uh, companies, it also brings a number of risks as well. So it's not just about the financial debt, but what corners have these companies been cutting over the last 12 months, that as an investor, you need to be looking at as well and doing much more thorough due diligence. And you mentioned tech M&A, we're seeing that as well. You've got the mega deals, but on the e-commerce side, there's lots of opportunities for the startups, whether you're an angel investor or a much bigger investor seeing an opportunity, I think we'll look at a lot more
0: exploration of that this year as well. Thanks, cool. um, Well last year and moving into this year was obviously a um, there's been a, a number of upheavals outside of just the pandemic what are you seeing
3: so obviously um, in the last year we've had some some pretty uh, exceptional circumstances um, one of the things that the pandemic created was obviously winners and losers in different different sectors uh, tech in the main and it's a it's a generalization has certainly been the winners in that regard um, Organisations became more more dependent on them. Um, we have seen in uh, in the UAE alone, actually, we've seen more registered fintech startups in 2020 um, than has ever been seen before. Um, that clearly is as an indication that that the the sector is is one of the more buoyant in the region at the moment. Um, from an from an M and A point of view, and, and what we're probably going to see going through 2021, um, there are going to be some some you know, it's massive changes potentially in the market. We've got the new uh, administration in the US, um, and they have a very different stance on uh, technology and particularly big tech than the previous administration. We're talking about, you know, potential um, sort of antitrust uh, plays coming in from the Biden administration to reduce some of the power and capability and spread of, of some of these huge organizations. Um, and that's gonna ripple down through the market. I think we're gonna see a lot, of, um, a lot of M&A activity around that. And, and going back to Court's to point and the point you made at, at the beginning, um, the distressed uh, or the divestment of, of distressed assets is, is going to be something that we see more and more of. Um, and without kind of going away from the kind of tech discussion immediately, one of the, the biggest changes that, that's happened in, in 2020 is that, that organizations that traditionally may not have been as dependent on technology to, to maintain their, their methods of working and how they operate and everything else um, have had to adopt the, these very rapidly deployed programs of, of uh, digital transformation, which is a cliche, but that's what it is. Um, and that's going to drive some of the M&A activity um, from from, uh, looking at those organizations and working out uh, how robust their systems and the environments are that they're operating in and and what they're going to do in terms of of, uh, making themselves either more attractive for purchase or from a purchaser's point of view, what they need to do to make sure that, that those environments are secure.
0: Courtney, if I could um, come to you and just have your thoughts on some of the the changes that are going on in some of the the, the neighbouring jurisdictions. The the one that has been most uh, forefront in in my practice has really been the the Abraham Accords and the the developments with Israel. It's been wonderful to see uh, so many Israelis here in Dubai um, looking for investments and uh, looking for opportunities. Um, and we certainly anticipate that that is going to be a a rich vein of transactional activity going forward, albeit um, it's only really just starting to get going. Um, What are your thoughts and what else are you seeing in terms of the uh, neighbouring jurisdictions?
2: um, The Israel one obviously caught a lot of people by surprise, uh, but everybody was quick to move, which is good. A lot lot of activity working out where those opportunities will be. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to rush to do that big deal, but there's been the big announcements as well. Again, it's similar on the big scale, the, me- the mega projects, you know, we're looking at potential collaboration around transportation, logistics. Uh, that's going to drive a lot of smaller operators to have opportunities as well, which is very good. Uh, tech has always been an important collaborator between Israel and countries around the world. And that will drive as well as creating opportunities. And I think we'll see two way investment on that. I don't think it takes away from, you know, where the other opportunities are growing as well. You know, if you look at Egypt, it is a country that has in the last five, 10 years, really tried to do transformation around um, information technology uh, that is at all levels where it's smart transportation, going into the renewable energy as well. for me, Egypt is, is a great litmus test. That's bringing everything together. It's got the multilaterals looking into them, providing that investment, sovereign wealth funds in our region, collaborating with the sovereign wealth fund of, of Egypt. Uh, the Red Sea concessions that have been awarded in the last 12 months, 18 months, we are seeing that uptick in oil and gas as well. And all of this big investment is just going to help stimulate that the economies more and drive other opportunities for those that support these industries.
0: Moving on from some of the trends we're seeing to maybe start getting down into the weeds in terms of some of the, the issues that we're seeing um, on transactions themselves and how they might be. Um, dealt with that. Eamon, if I could come to you, um, you're involved um, from a IPT, data protection, um, a number of areas on these types of deals. What are some of the things that that you're seeing that people doing deals need to be thinking about and perhaps thinking about now more than they weren't in the past?
1: Thanks, Will. Um, So for me personally, it's been a really interesting uh, couple of years professionally insofar as Um, data protection as an issue has risen from probably literally the last thing people in business uh, would worry about regionally to now being at least one of the top uh, five uh, things that come across my desk as as a real concern. Um, And that's driven, you know, it has been driven by things like the GDPR and the increased prominence of um, data protection because of that. Um, But also, as I think, both Courtney and, and um, Will have referred to earlier, the, the increased visibility of cyber attacks. And so from a uh, the perspective of what I do on, on most of my day, which is advising technology clients, there is now uh, an increased um, uh, uh, um, awareness of, of how important it is to have a, a robust data governance framework. And that includes not just uh, protection of personal data in the sense that GDPR looks at by and large, but also from a cybersecurity perspective as well. So protecting data in that regard. Um, And uh, where where our practices I think will intersect is in particular where clients are looking to purchase uh, a target um, and what's, I've become more involved in the sorts of transactions you're doing in the last few years primarily because people are aware of not just the regulatory issues that they're potentially buying into, but also um, some of the legacy issues they have that, that the target may have in terms of how it's managing data, um, what its suppliers are doing with data, um, what is the target done or what is it doing in terms of cybersecurity so that they're not buying something that is um, particularly a high-profile client or, or target something that is likely to be, um, you know, a high-profile t- target. Um, in terms of the laws in the region, you know, I think I don't think it's any surprise to, or, or secret to say that it's it's definitely in a catch-up phase. There's no, um, th- there are a couple of laws now at a national level uh, that deal with data protection, including some elements of cybersecurity. Um, including Bahrain and Qatar. But here in the UAE, as I think many people on this call will will know, um, we have a a definite patchwork of uh, laws in um, certain free zones, the DIFC and ADGM, um, but also sectoral laws as well in different sectors such as finance and health. Um, And that's replicated across the region. So I guess the key message is that there's, there's there's a view that Personal data protection, cybersecurity uh, aren't well regulated. That might be true um, to a degree, but it's definitely a bit of a minefield and something that I think uh, buyers and sellers need to be aware of.
0: Thanks, Damon. Just in terms of how this is arising on on deals, um, are buyers and sellers getting more concerned because there's more enforcement or is it just a general regulator? To compliance concern that is that is driving it
1: from a local sorry, regional perspective. No, there's, there's, we don't have enforcement like we have in Europe because we don't have uh, the same legal mechanism like say the GDPR yet. Um, also, we don't have the same culture around personal data protection and uh, the enforcement uh, against breaches, or I suppose even a history of um, public cybersecurity incidents that you know. I made public There's a few well-known ones that you know we could all talk about, uh, that you see in the press occasionally. But um, those, the news about those things come out primarily, uh, not necessarily because there's been a report to a regulator, for example, which is what would occur in Europe or the US. Um, I think the concern is driven by, well, depending on the, the transaction, if it involves an entity, say a buyer coming in from Europe, um, they will most likely be subject to the GDPR and and in which case if they're buying an entity that handles personal data uh, it could that that um, target could then also be subsumed within that um but I think also there is an increasing commercial awareness of the complexities or problems that can be faced if you you know hastily purchase a target and then determine that for example it doesn't have a robust cybersecurity regime um it doesn't handle you know, custom personal data. Well, its suppliers don't have proper framework in place, etc., and creates a bunch of problems and, and threat factors.
0: Um, but Will if I could maybe bring you in here, I know that that you know we've worked with you on these types of situations before. What are your what are your thoughts in terms of the direction of travel on these types of of perhaps cyber issues or others?
3: Yeah, I think. Yeah, just to to echo what Eamon's just said, I think these these issues are getting more and more prevalent uh, in the deals environment. Uh, For all the reasons that that have just been been kind of discussed around uh, data privacy, we we talk about the the fact that that breaches in in the region um, are occurring, but they're not that public. And when they are, there's there's quite a lag between the breach and, and, and information being released. So there isn't that sensitivity around those. But from a buyer's point of view and indeed from a from a seller's point of view, um, there are quite a lot of considerations around, around cyber and, and technology that that have become more prevalent and therefore relevant in recent times than there were previously. They're kind of the separation uh, of systems if you are getting rid of a specific asset and you have a shared ERP environment, for example, you know, whether you've got SAP or Oracle or Dynamics or or whatever it happens to be running your entire organization, you want to carve one element out, that is something that has to be done very carefully. And it's got to be done, done very carefully in terms of obviously all of the legislation around data privacy, but actually from maintaining the robustness of your individual systems and making sure that from the buyer's point of view, if you are buying a carved out environment, how secure is that so that if you're introducing it into your network, are you introducing more risks into your operational day-to-day environment that, that that need to be managed? And so we see there is there is much more concern um, from from buy side around completing a a more thorough due diligence program, which is is not just around the the the, the kind of traditional due diligence side, but very much looking into the cyber attributes of the target and whether they have a robust capability in place when they had data ownership established data categorization established all of these things and and whether they have put controls in place that may make sure that those environments are secure are, are things that are looked at and it has a tangible impact on deal value potentially um, and going back to the point court made uh at the beginning of, of this in a distressed environment where um, Basically, the focus has typically been trying to keep the lights on. So if there's a distress sale, keeping the lights on, you know, the all of the activities within the keeping the lights on function will be maintaining revenue or generating revenue or, or actually credit control, if we wanna be completely cynical about it. Um, under those circumstances, we see that there has been um, systematic degradation of controls that are in place prior to that divestment taking place. And so these are things that need to be really carefully considered if you're buying distressed assets.
0: I think Eamon,
3: um, I know you and I have talked about an, an
0: example that, that you had to work through um, mm. where you had a an overseas listed entity with various subsidiaries here in the region. And that was a distressed situation. And there were um, Myriads of these types of issues to deal with, do you want to say a few words about that
1: yeah sure so it just it's very interesting um, will uh, Brown uh, mentioned um, a situation um, where so yeah the, the specific issue we, we were dealing with was a um, an insolvency and um, was quite a large concern and uh, happened to have uh, parent companies and a listed company in the UK. This is pre-Brexit as well. And so uh, we became involved with the administrators um, and trying to figure out issues around the collation and collection of um, information across a number of different uh, jurisdictions for the purposes of the administration. But what became quickly, uh, sorry, very clear, very quickly, was that um, because of the GDPR, and this, I think had been probably the first very big uh, insolvency that these administrators have been involved in since then, uh, it raised a lot of issues around, you know, collection of information, what type of information was it, all those things that we have to deal with as a as a controller in a a normal just data uh, protection query. Um, but applied in the context of a very fast-moving, quite grey field of issues um, where decisions had to be made quickly for, you know, as Will said, to keep the lights on and and try and recover as much money as possible. So it was a real learning curve for the administrators, for ourselves, um, and one where it it actually, you know, obviously wasn't, that was the first, Uh, those issues have not stopped. And what we're seeing now is um, increasingly, you know, the same pattern emerges in those sorts of distressed um, environments.
0: Thanks, Eamon. Anything to add from the control risk side?
1: Yeah, one of the things that
2: I'd like to add is around that data, obviously we do have a responsibility to protect data, but one of the things when we, we're looking at a transaction, data is something that's very helpful for you to do your due diligence on and to you know go through that transactional analysis to make sure that you're comfortable around any financial crime issues. You can take a step further, and if we look at some of the big e-commerce transactions that we're seeing, and I think we're gonna see a lot more of that. There are buyers and there are sellers, and with that is, concerns around who is doing those transactions, who is selling a product, who is buying a product. Is there potential that these individuals are actually linked to sanctioned entities? And then also um, what is actually being transacted as well. So on online marketplaces is a very good example of you're going to have a responsibility to make sure that the product that's being um transacted is actually something that can be legally sold. And so what we're seeing a lot of additional work that's being done on the due diligence side is doing a much deeper dive into that compliance program. And clients are actually asking about what controls can we put in place to be able to identify if there's potential sanctioned entities or sanctioned activities that are actually occurring in the marketplace that they're actually looking at investing into.
0: And Court, do you see um, clients also looking at that from a kind of an ESG perspective as well?
2: Absolutely. And I think part of it was driven by laws and regulations that you're starting to, to see pop up, like the Modern Slavery Act. But then that's translated into companies wanting to do the right thing now. You know, maybe it was a reputational issue at first, but now particularly over the last 12 months where because of distressed assets, because of the economy is collapsing, that what we are seeing is an opportunity for people to invest in people and go all the way through the supply chain and have a real social impact. So they do want to make sure that when you're actually doing an acquisition that you are not you know, acquiring a company that will not care about the people, not care about the environments, and if it, if it is a an asset that might be that, they will be thinking about what they actually need to do and to put into place as they actually take on that take on that asset.
0: It's certainly something that we're seeing um, as a an, an emerging and developing trend is the focus on ESG as we're looking at, at transactions. It's becoming front and centre. Um, of uh, a lot of our clients' minds, so that's that's really interesting. Uh, Will from Control Risk, I think you had something you wanted to uh, to include.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to say actually that, that if you if we had this discussion three four years ago, um, particularly of some of the, the the big funds making purchases in in the Middle East, the S G element would not have have even come onto the the radar. Yeah. You know, possibly a, a, a bit of a simplification but but not massively and we are now seeing exactly as as you both just said without unnecessarily repeating um you that that is now a consideration and it is not it is not just around social compliance and and people it's around the environment now the, the question is is that is that driven from a natural desire that, that that's that's something that needs to happen or is that driven because that's what other uh big funds are, are looking for is is you know, speculation but actually it doesn't matter. Um, it is becoming more and more of a prominent trend in, in the Middle East. So Will
0: Brown I'd perhaps like to just come back to one of the points you mentioned earlier which was accelerated digital transformation which is actually the theme of the, uh, the Tech Law podcast series. Look we've obviously seen in the last 12 months um, COVID. Uh, causing a significant increase in digital transformation. But this is felt in other areas, such as I know um, connected cars or Internet of Things. Or there's a whole suite of of these types of transformations. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing on uh, on these types of issues.
3: So I think the from a from a um, the adoption of new technologies, we're seeing that all the time. I think it's become the 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 standard for everyone now um everything from remote working to uh, integrated platforms to all of the things that we're seeing around around some of the deployments of of, of new technologies um 5g uh rollouts uh, stuttering in some places or not is is another consideration around that i mean we're we're lucky enough to live in uh one of the most Um, digitized environments in the world in terms of smart cities and and we we benefit from that and as we see 5g um being kind of rolled out around the world one of the things that, that 5g is going to do is it's going to create a massive proliferation of uh connected devices so the the internet of things that we talk about is is going to grow exponentially um, and continues to grow exponentially and and that is going to present uh, a huge opportunity for kind of new technologies as, as they come through. I think the the one thing I will say about that and it, it is a, a worthwhile consideration in, in 2021 um, is that, that 5G is a really good example of where geopolitics and technology um, considerations are converging. Um, and as you've seen at the deployment of of the, the hardware to de- deploy uh, and enable 5G, it, it has become a geopolitical hot potato. Something that governments need to consider very carefully uh, throughout 2021 and beyond in terms of, of some of the data privacy elements around that. Eamon,
0: you touched on this um, in a couple of places um, in our previous discussions. Um, in terms of the direction of travel, what's what's your sense?
1: So, um, yeah, like obviously no doubt uh, it, it, it's almost trite to say that, you know, this unfortunate uh, episode's caused, you know, acceleration of plans uh, for digital transformation. Um, I mean, things th- things that we've been discussing around like IOT, 5G, digital transformation, we've been talking about for at least five years, 10 years. Um, what we're seeing now, I guess, uh, you know it it is is a lot of these things now seem to be on the cusp of becoming or emerging as as tangible issues or 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 um, um, uh, in our case, at least I suppose, instructions on the desk that are coming through. now what 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 that means though, is that from my perspective in terms of what I do on a day-to-day basis, uh, advising clients on the regulatory regime, um, to, to meet these technologies is, is um, uh, I want you know, it, it's becoming increasingly challenging as these new laws develop and, and do things like introduce, uh, you know, specific data localization requirements in either a sector or a country. Um, and, you know, that's where I see, a, a, unfortunately, a potential conflict in terms of, you know, um, the uh, objective, and the um, the outcome. Um, so it would be good to see a, and I think I have seen things happen uh, at a at a federal, uh, sorry, inter intergovernment level at least um, that seem to be indicating that policy might be moving towards a more uniform a um, uh, direction. If that occurs, and that might open the door again for uh, a more harmonised approach to regulation and help, you know, properly inculcate. Uh, this digitisation, make it reality.
0: And and Court, if I could come to you on this topic, appreciate it's a pretty broad topic. What are your what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited by the opportunity that this has brought. And if we look pre-2020, we really had a, a, a truly global market. But over the last you know 10, 11 months now, we've gone from everything from people having to work from home and not being able to travel, the difficulty of moving goods from one place to another. And at the same time, we've seen so many geopolitical changes as well. The introduction of sanctions against new countries, normalization of relations between countries and uh, changes in governments as well. So while this, move towards digital transformation you know whether it is the internet of things or automation robotics etc it's not going to happen overnight we are going to have to do a lot of work to open up this market again and with that I mean it, it will take industry it will take the lawyers it will take the advisors to work out how we can actually move forward but it, we will be able to do it and that's the great thing
0: So the stage is set for a really interesting 2021. We're seeing an uptick in deal activity, we're seeing an increasing number of those deals being in the tech sector, we're seeing a rapidly evolving digital transformation. Um, There's certainly a lot of food for thought for those market participants out there who are thinking about undertaking transactions in 2021. Um, Before we close out, perhaps I can ask each of you to give your kind of key opportunity, challenge, um, idea for the coming year. Um, Courtney, maybe I could come to you first.
2: Yeah, I think the most important thing for everyone to consider is responsible investment is no longer a nice to have or an option. If you do not consider the social impact, the environmental impact of where you are investing you will get left behind but it doesn't take a lot of additional work or a lot of extra resources in order to address those issues and if you do you will be able to move forward and be front of the wave of the economy reopening.
0: And Will Brown if I could come to you how does 2021 look for you?
3: I think one of the things that that, that's going to drive 2021 and, and and probably longer, and I'm afraid it, it's a hangover from uh, approximately the last four or five years, is, is geopolitics has become much more prevalent in all discussions, uh, whether you're talking about your technology provider, uh, whether that is hardware or software, or in issues around really kind of sort of current times, you know, which vaccine are you getting and where's it coming from and if we if we just flick the clock back to to h9 m1 to go down the the kind of swine flu and when when vaccines were available or, or sort of antivirals were available there was never a question about where it came from in the same way that that there was never a a consideration around where your hardware was manufactured to deploy your wi-fi signal and now all of these things are coming into play and i think Echoing the point that Court made, I think as we see in it, a uh, kind of normalization of, of relationships uh, with you know, the US and, and China, we are you know, that is going to start to improve. But I think those are still going to be considerations that are driving both technology investments and mergers acquisitions and various other things uh, throughout 2021 and beyond. Fascinating. And and finally, Eamon.
1: Yeah, I think um, well, what we from a, a data protection. Uh, perspective, we're expecting to see a couple of new laws coming out. Um, The ADGM, so the the DIFC's just issued a new one, Uh, ADGM's expected to publish it soon. Um, We're expecting one in Saudi and one in the UAE as well, so it'll be very interesting to see how those new laws uh, look in so far as how do they, how do they, can they work together, how do they work together which will have a knock-on effect for businesses operating pan-regionally and other businesses coming into the region. Um, the only other thing I'd just like to suppose say at the end would be, um, although I, th- I suppose a lot of what I've been talking about has been on the f- from the perspective of the buyer maybe doing a due diligence, etc. Um, you know, if you flip the, the, the coin, you can see it from the perspective of the buyer as well, oh, sorry, the seller as well. And so, um, going to echo Courtney's point about, you know, a little bit of extra discretionary effort can provide some real results. Um, if you are able to get your ducks in a row when it comes to how you organize your data, how you organize your cybersecurity, et cetera, when it comes to having to sell, you can be in a stronger position uh, potentially to uh, to negotiate and um, hopefully get a, a good price and make the deal go smoother.
0: Eamon, Courtney. Will, thank you so much for your participation today. It really is very much appreciated. Thanks very much indeed.
1: Thank you. Thanks Will.
0: Thanks also to our listeners for tuning into this podcast. Um, I hope you found the insights useful.